0: Let's go to the Bible this morning and let's open it up and let's see what God might have to say to us this morning. Last week I started a teaching series called Immersed. I got as far as the big idea, so we'll give it another shot this week and we'll make it a little farther. So the title of this whole series is Immersed. Christ being in me and me being in Christ. What it means, how it happens, and specifically this morning, what are the benefits of that? to me i 've been so thrilled over the last two weeks we 've had four people make first time decisions to surrender their life to Jesus Christ to confess their faith in him right here in these services, some radical transformations and big, uh, yes that 's a big deal that 's why we do what we do every week we don 't do it so that we can kind of just show everybody you know show everybody you know hey well Send us over here with not a whole lot of stuff and by God we'll make it work. This is not about saying anything about us. It's about drawing people to Jesus Christ to find personal relationship with him and freedom. Just like we sang about this morning, that I'll never, like the song Oh Happy Day, I'll never be the same again. That's what's supposed to make me different as a Christian. The differentiation for Christianity is supposed to be a transformed life. In other words, if I say I have a relationship with Jesus and over the last 20 years I haven't transformed and changed, I question what relationship you think you have. It's like you have a whole new operating system living inside of you to help shape you and mold you into the person of Christ. That's what it's about. You know, Rajiv and I were talking this morning. He's got some cool things going on in the student ministries. They're actually talking about a similar lesson this morning. In fact, I read some of their discussion questions back there with Susan and Rajiv. I thought, I might need to sit in on this. This is pretty good stuff. But, um, They've had some students make decisions for Christ recently. And Rajiv's like, We need to have a baptism service soon. And I was like, Well, we have some people getting saved here that want to be baptized. So we're going to figure this all out. We're not going to wait until next year at Beachmont. We will figure out how to have a water baptism service. These are good problems to have to solve. But I want to give you a primer because I realized in this room this morning, we're in two groups of people. We're people who, who might say, Pastor, I'm spiritually unresolved. Phil, I, I have not. I am not a believer in God. I'm not a believer in Christ, or I've not chosen. I've not asked Him to forgive me. I'm here this morning for whatever reason, I'm here this morning looking for information and I, and I t- will tell you right now, if you'll just if you'll give me an opportunity to speak to you for 25 30 minutes this morning, we'll give you some good solid information from the Bible, I'm not going to give you do my best not to just use this as a platform for my opinions, we can talk about that over lunch this is a place where we open up the Bible and we look at what God has to say to us and we carefully study it line by line, verse by verse and draw that application for us, the other camp of us are people who say, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ I believe in God, I believe in Jesus I believe I, I need someone to save me from my sins, I believe I am a broken person that's in the process of being put back together in Jesus, and I have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and now I have His Spirit living in me, and I am in the process of being incrementally transformed into the character and the nature of Jesus Christ. So, regardless of where you are this morning, I believe we can all draw some application from what the Bible has to teach us. I want to read you three passages of Scripture, all from the New Testament. The first one's written by John, quoting Jesus Christ when he was here on earth. The second two were written by the Apostle Paul, one of the leading writers in the New Testament. They all talk about the topic of being immersed in Jesus. The reason why we're not picking one verse is because there's 164 verses in the New Testament that talk about being immersed in Jesus or Jesus being in us. So there's a whole lot of verses. In fact, Paul writes about that almost more than any other idea about being in God and God being in us. So I selected three of them to use as a launching pad this morning. Let's dig in together. John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17 say, and this is Jesus speaking, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later. And what he didn't tell them and that we know is. And later what Jesus is saying is after I go to the cross and I die and I'm raised from the dead and I go to heaven. I will send him to you and later he will be in you. You understand the disciples are having a hard time under, figuring out what life would look like if Jesus was not physically present with them every day. They're trying to come to terms with Jesus telling them, I'm going to have to leave. And they're panicking because they don't know how when their mentor goes, what will they do? He's saying, I will send you a better mentor, not because he knows more or less than me, but because I can be with you. He will be in you. I can be with you, but I can't be physically present with you as a human being all the time. What would even be better is if everything you like about me and you're learning about me cannot just be around you, but be in you, and you have all access to it all the time. Well, Paul got to experience this, and he writes some of this, writes about this later on in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? Later on, in 2 Corinthians, he says, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old is gone the new is here. So Paul talks about not only God being in you, but you being in Christ. And that's that idea of, of being immersed. It's like taking a glass bottle, filling it to the top with water, and putting a cork in it. That's, what I, that's kind of an analogy to describe what it's like when I accept Jesus Christ. Christ is in me. We talked about this last week. What does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean for Christ to be in me? Well, for, me to be, for Christ to be in me is like a glass bottle filled to the top with water. The Apostle Paul tells us when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and the Savior, we confess our faith in him, instantaneously we receive the Spirit of God in us. And that's what that looks like. Now, if you took that corked bottle filled with water and threw it and heaved it in the ocean, that's kind of like me being in Christ. Christ in me and me in Christ. That's what it means to be immersed. This is how... We do this discipleship thing. At Echo Community Church, we're passionate about two things. We're passionate about being disciples. We're passionate about making disciples. A disciple, one way of defining it, is a consciously, intentional follower of Jesus Christ. It's someone who knows who Jesus is, has a personal relationship with him, and intentionally, and, and with every degree of awareness, is following after him. That's what a disciple is. And the way you're able to do this is by the Spirit of God inside of you, shaping and molding and transforming you day to day, hour by hour, such that, just like we sang this morning, you'll never be the same again. That's what discipleship looks like. So the big idea in your notes, if you weren't here last week, it's okay, now you're caught up. The big idea is that the Holy Spirit is my access to God through my relationship with Jesus Christ. I can personally access God when he lives in me and I live in him. The big idea is that the Holy Spirit is my access to God through my relationship with Jesus Christ. I can personally access God when he lives in me and I live in him. What does it mean for him to live in me? It means It means that I'm saved, that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that I've confessed my belief in Jesus, that I've repented for my sins, and I've invited him to have control of my life. I surrender to him, and then I choose to follow him. That's what that looks like. If I've made that decision with my life, then Christ is in me. But I also need to be aware of, not only is just, it's about Christ being me, I need to be found in Christ. What that means is that my thoughts are united with Jesus' thoughts. My feelings, my emotions, my morals, my values. I don't live my life in such a way that I define everything about it and hope God lines up with it. That's not being in Christ. Being in Christ is say, God, you're the ultimate definer and you're the definition of everything. You define who I am and who I'm not. You define... You define everything about life and creation and marriage and relationships and family and and priorities and values. God, you are the ultimate definition and I find myself in those things rather than asking you to fit yourself into my personal ideology. That's what it means to be in Christ. He is in me, I am in him. And one of the beautiful things that happens is that when you make that decision, you receive God's spirit inside of you. And that spirit, one of the benefits is he gives you access to God. And it baffles my mind why we don't take advantage of the all access pass we're given. It baffles my mind. Why in the world wouldn't you and I take advantage of the all-access pass God gives us? Look, if you get the opportunity to fly business class or something, they give you access to certain lounges, that's happened to me once in my life, which never would have happened because then riding coach is just never the same. But it's like everything they gave me access to, I took them up on it because I could. I had three rolls with my dinner. I got to go to a special lounge. I didn't even know how to behave there. I was around a lot of people who were in a different class of life than me. But I took four showers. I watched every channel on TV. I read 14 magazines. I ate nine different types of salted legumes. It was great. I took advantage of everything they gave me access to. Now, some of us are not like that. Some of us, if someone says, listen, I want to I give you access to this, or I want to give you access to that, or here's my personal number, why don't you call me, or he's in, here's a direct email. Where you can, some of us say, well, thank you for that. And I say, oh, I don't want to bother them. I'm glad they gave me access, but I just don't really want to, I don't, I don't want to be seen that way. God gives you unlimited access. You understand, I'm never going to have a conversation with the president unless I do something really awful. He's not going to take my call. Why would he? He's not going to take my email. There are layers of protection and boundaries. We human beings set up so that people cannot have all access to us. We don't like to give the cashier our, our, our email address. It's like, well, why do you want to know? Go, hey, uh, before you check out and give us money, can I have your email address? Uh, as a matter of fact, no, you may not. Well, why not? Because I already have 90 emails a day I have to delete. I don't need 91. You know, it's like, but we send coupons. Like, I can clip them. You know, we go back and forth on this. And then I have eventually give in and give them an email address. And I have 91 emails. We put up boundaries in our lives to keep people away because we don't generally want people to have all access to us, do we? God, if there's anybody that that has a lot on his plate, it's God. And God says this, "If, if you have relationship with me through my son, I will give you all access to me through the Holy Spirit who lives in you and I invite you to have access to me. Who in the world would you need a meeting with who has more influence than God Almighty? and he gives you access, why don't you take him up on it? We run here and there and to and fro, and we consult God second or third or last, if at all. And here is a God who says, I know it all, I can do it all, I've been there and back, I'm completely powerful, why in the world will we not take him up on the access that he gives us? So I think it's because of one of two things. Like I said earlier, one possible reason is, that, is we don't want it enough. You don't access God. I don't access God as much as I could simply because I don't want to. I'm not thinking about it. It's not on my priority list. I might say it's most important, but I couldn't prove it by my life. As Christians, we generally get what we want most. You want a building, you can have a building. You want red hot worship, you can have red hot worship. You want to be a cool church, you can have a cool church. You want a fashionable pastor that looks great, you'll have to fire me and hire somebody else. But if you want to know the God of the Bible and you want it more than anything, you can have that too. And that's what I want and that's what I've tasted of and nothing else compares. Nothing else compares. But you can have what you want most. Most of us don't access God because we don't want it but you can know the God of the Bible. The Bible speaks of a God of unlimited love and unlimited power and an unlimited willingness to walk with us through life, through every peak and every valley. A God of miracles, a God who transformed things and changed things, a God made things appear that weren't there, a God who took things away that were actually there. This is the God the Bible speaks about and either he's the same God or he's a liar. And my God is not a liar. You have access to him. You personally do. Why don't you take him up on it? Why don't you take him up on it? Maybe another possibility is that the reason we don't take advantage of accessing God is that we might be completely ignorant, unaware, and uninformed of what the benefits are of his access. If I do want to access God, Pastor, can you be specific about what types of things he allows me to access? And I think that that's a fair question, and the Bible has a lot to say about that. I can't give you an exhaustive list, but I can point to a few things that the Bible gives us specifically. Um, I was thinking about this yesterday. Uh, we had a birthday party for my mom in Pennsylvania, and uh, one of the privileges of this party was that my mom's parents, my grandparents, William and Barbara Woods, were there. My, my granddad is 75 years, still bench presses 200 pounds, walks five miles every day. He and my grandmother are extremely active. My granddad is one of the greatest men I've ever known in my life. So much of who I am today is because of that man and the time that I've been privileged to spend with him throughout my life. He and my grandmother have, they're pretty hip for grandparents, you know, they're pretty hip. And, and uh, um, my grandmother, a couple years ago, discovered emailing and um, had this gigantic desktop computer at her house. I mean, like, I think she bought it at a yard sale and some, you something know, had, like, the phone line hooked up. Like, whenever she'd log on the internet, you'd hear, like, the phone dialing in the back kind of a thing. And, uh, you know, she had this for years, and she would email. She had an Earthlink email address, and she would email us, and, the, and it was great. It was kind of cool that grandma would email um, then about about six months or so ago, you know, somehow the computer survived that long, and it died, and she had to go buy a new computer because she had to check her email regularly. She had to have a whole new computer to do this, and so she unfortunately got to a salesperson before any of us could advise her, who convinced her of this new fancy dancy computer that she needed. It was no longer this big; it's like this big has like 8 billion things, and a lot of megs and mags and mugs and all kinds of things. And it goes, you can tell I'm a techie, and it goes really, really, really fast and does all kinds of things. And, um, you know, she spent some serious coin on this. And, you know, I, I was a little concerned about this. And she was telling me, well, you know I got a new computer. I said, well, let me take a look at it, Grandma. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, that is a nicer computer than what I have. That thing is, my goodness. I said, well, Grandma, what all are you doing with this? She's like, oh, you know, every day I can check my email." And I'm like, Grandma, like, like, Grandma, a a fine piece of machinery like this should, you got to know how to operate this. There's so much more than it can do. Let me show you. And I open it up, and I start showing look at what you can do with this, Grandma. Like, there's this thing also called the Internet. And I, like, double-click on the Safari browser, and it brings it up. She's like, what is this? I was like, well, where do you want to go to eat later on? She said, well, Grandpa and I were thinking about going to this restaurant. And we type it in, and we press, (gasps) That's the menu. It is, Grandma. And look, you can click this button and make a reservation. You know, it's like you can see, like, on her face, like the whole world was changing right in front of her eyes. I'm like, and not only this. I was like, Grandma, if you open up this document, pull up Microsoft Excel, I was like, look, it's a spreadsheet. All those lists you have taped everywhere, you can put them all right here. Do I have to write on the screen? No, you, you type with the the keyboard you have the same thing for the email and I'm like and look at this if you do this you know that the little cards you use on the table to play solitaire look you can write all there on the screen and I said and you have this app and this thing and I can download this and that and you could tell her eyes were just glazing out she's like well all I want to do is check my email I'm like grandma you do not buy a computer like this to just check your email that's like the biggest waste of a new resource that you have. You should learn all the different things that it could do. She's like, well, I'll never figure out everything that it could do. I said, exactly, but, you know, jump in there somewhere and figure out one new. So, The sad thing to me is you and I got a whole new operating system when we accepted Christ. And all we seem to do is check in with him periodically. There's so much more in God than just checking email. There's so much more access he gives you than just the ability to say, at least I'm not going to hell. The whole reason he gave you his spirit was to give you an entryway into the, all the things that are God, and it would dwarf everything your Mac can do. It just makes no sense to have this new Way of life inside of me, and not want to figure out everything that there is for me to figure out, knowing that that is almost like an infinite question to ask. So let's just narrow it down to four things. I'll probably only get through the first two today. Um, Let's let's look at a couple things that you get access to when the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. Number one, you have access to God's mentoring. You have access to God's mentoring. If you have the Holy Spirit living in you and you're and you're in Him, you have access. To the best mentor, the mentor of all mentors, the teacher of all teachers, the one who knows more than everyone and everything else. You have an all-access pass, whether you want it or not, to the mentoring and the teaching and the guidance of God himself through his spirit who lives in you. Here's what the Apostle John writes in 1 John chapter 2. Now, let me give you a context here. Some of you understand a little bit more about the background John was one of the apostles, the same John we read about in the Gospels. Where do we believe John was located geographically when he's writing 1 John? Does anybody know? Want to venture a guess? Potmos. Why was he there? Exile, solitary confinement. Most biblical scholars have pretty conclusive evidence that when John writes these books, some of the last written chronologically in the New Testament, about the last ones written probably around the 90 AD mark, that John was in fact living in isolation as an exile because of his faith on the island of Patmos. So if John's going to learn anything new about God, where, what are his resources? He doesn't have books, doesn't have commentaries, doesn't have a Bible, it's still being written, right? What has he got? He's got his personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's all he's got. He writes this, but you have received the Holy Spirit And he lives within you, so you don't need anyone to teach you what is true, for the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know, and he teaches what is true. It is not a lie. So just as he has taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. One of the things John says is so important is not severing your awareness of Jesus' activity inside of you after you come to faith because that's the pipeline by which God teaches us. Now we're going to come back to that verse in about a minute and a half because we also need to look at it again and say what John is saying and what he isn't saying. If you just read that, you might think he's saying teaching doesn't have any value. The only type of teaching that means anything is what I hear from God and human teaching has no value. This is not what he is saying. But let me build a case for this real quick. Let's talk about mentorship for a second. Mentoring is a new kind of a buzz phrase in business. If you watch TED Talks and all these other types of things, it's a new catchphrase in organizational growth and development. Mentoring is a new hot term. I heard people say, well, I have, I'm having lunch with my mentor today, or I'm mentoring other people. And we, call our, we don't call them youth leaders. Here we call them youth mentors. Let's talk about what a mentor is. Um, sometimes it's used interchangeably with teacher. Here's what a mentor is. A mentor is someone who knows more than me about something, who's willing to teach me what they know. That's what a mentor is. A mentor is someone who, by definition, knows more than I do about something and is willing to share some of that knowledge and experience with me. Let's look at the other side of this. Being mentored, I don't know if it's a mentee or what it is, but if I'm being mentored, a mentee sounds like a, a mint and a tea. I don't know what it is. But anyway, a ment, someone being mentored, if I want to be mentored, it means, this is you've got to get this, I am willing to learn from someone who I will admit knows more than I do about something. Many of us say we want mentoring when, in fact, we think we have nothing to learn. This will be a miserable relationship for you. Now, I realize none of us would care to admit, I think I know everything about things. Ask, ask someone in your life you trust to tell you the truth if, in fact, that is you. If you think you already know everything, you probably have no need for mentoring. You have no need for coaching. You have no need for teaching because by God you've arrived and you know it all. And we thank you. You will be the fourth member of the Trinity. We'll give you a position here at Echo Community Church. You can teach all of us. Mentoring is a new, it's kind of a new concept, but it's, it's kind of an old thing. The person who's always right and never wrong sees little need in being taught. A good mentor will not invest their time in someone who's not teachable. And, you know, I was reflecting on the idea of mentoring and mentorship, and it became quickly obvious to me the influence that different teachers and mentors have had in my life. You know, I think about my parents have had a huge influence on my life beyond just parenting me. They mentored me. They taught me things about life. I wasn't always interested in learning what they were trying to teach me. Um, I didn't always want their input. There were times when I knew that they were right, and I didn't want to admit it. I wanted to do it my way. That said more about me than them. I, I've mentioned to you this morning about my grandpa. He has been a, an enormous mentor in my life. I think about two professors that I had in Bible college, more than just what they taught me in the classroom. They invited me to have personal relationship with them outside of the class. They saw ministry potential in me and invited me to walk along with them outside of the classroom and teach and speak into my life. I think about different pastors that I have. You know, more recently, you know, one of the pastors I served under in, in, in Griffin, Georgia, named Dr. Valmont, pastors a church of 4,000 people um, he, he really helped to mold and shape a lot of the person that I am today, and if you thought through it, it probably wouldn't take long for you to come up with a short list of names of people who have influenced your life who knew more than you did about something, and you were willing to learn you were willing to learn from them. The way that we get mentored, usually, it's not just by sitting in a classroom and writing down information. I can be mentored by somebody by observing how they handle success. I watch how they handle failure. I watch how they handle crisis. I sensed the eyes on me this morning when I got here at 7.55. And we obviously were surprised by what we encountered at Perry Hall High School. And I could sense people watching me. As I'm trying to formulate a plan and gather information, I'm walking down the hallway. My son, who is also a little bit OCD and does not like things to be out of rhythm, was panicking, thinking we were in a brand new building this morning because we're walking down this hallway. So he's clinging to my shoulder. I've got a three. He's not. Some of you don't know me. I don't it's not a 17 year old. He's three. So he was he was he was clinging to me up here and we're walking down the hallway and and people saying, Pastor, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do? Just give me it. Just give me a second to get all the information. and We'll meet together. We're walking down the hallway and my son just looks at me and goes, Daddy. You're the leader, aren't you? I said, yes, son. I said, yes, I'm the leader. He's picking up on the fact that, you know, I recognize the responsibility that I had in those moments. Not that, you know, it would have gotten figured out if I wasn't here. We've got plenty of capable people. But you recognize the influence that different leaders have. You watch how they handle success. You watch how they handle failure. You watch how they handle adversity, correction, criticism, praise. You watch how someone who knows more than you do handles those things and you use it as a learning mechanism in your life. What makes a good disciple? I'll give you a characteristic. A good disciple is teachable we're all about being and making disciples here and i realize when we say we're about making disciples i've gotten pushback on that phrase i don't want to be made into something who do you think you are to make me into something well that type of an attitude is not you know like the bible talks about using the analogy of we're like clay in the potter's hands and the wetter and the more flexible clay is the more painless the shaping process is When we get to a place where we say, who are you? Or who are you, God, to make me into something I don't want to be? That is a hardened pot that needs to be broken because it cannot be reformed. A good disciple is teachable. I look for that when I go to hire a staff pastor. When I look for people who want to walk closely to me in ministry, there's a lot of pastors who look for talent, they look for gifting, they look for all the flair. And the, here's what I look for: I look for three things. I look for passion for God. I look for teachability, and I look for a strong work ethic. Because I can't teach you any of those things. You got to have that. I always told the students when I pastored them, if you will have a passion for God, that you depend on a mom. You don't depend on your mom for your passion, your dad for your passion, your church for your passion, your pastor for your passion. If you have passion for God that lights a fire inside of you, have an appetite to know God better, friend, you will go somewhere in life. If you have a strong work ethic, friend, you'll always be able to find something to do to take care of yourself and your family. You might have to look hard, it might not always be, but you will find I can't teach you to have a strong work ethic. If you have passion for God and a lot of gifts and ability, but you don't want to work hard, you won't last long around here. But friend, you've got to be teachable. You've got to be willing to listen to success, and to failure, and to encouragement, and to correction. A good disciple is teachable because we're not the finished product. In this passage, John clearly states that if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you don't need to depend on any human being to teach you the difference between what is true and what is a lie. Let's be careful to understand what he's saying and what he's not saying. In John's time, when he writes this, not so much different from today, I found this region of the country is enamored with education. We're enamored with education and degrees. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but you need to understand a lot of the way you define your identity in this area is by your level of education. That's just how it is. I lived in South Georgia for 10 years. I have a bachelor's degree and a little bit of continuing education beyond that. By far, that put me in the top 1%. I, I pastored in a county where our graduation rate was 31%. Seven out of every 10 students in our county, second most poor county per capita in all of Georgia, seven out of every 10 students who started as a freshman never graduated high school. So if you had a college degree of any kind, buddy, you were at the top of the list around here. Friend, I, no one cares that I have a bachelor's degree. I said, We all have bachelor's degrees. And the barista at Starbucks the other day over down here. I'm getting to know him a little bit better. He's working on his doctorate. I'm like, who am I? I'm like, what am I doing? Hey, please hear me. I'm not downing education. I'm just saying we can resonate with John because in this area, education's a big deal. People travel from all over the world and relocate here to study here. I think it's a great thing. That puts teachers and professors and holders of knowledge and doctors who, have mentor, who mentor people, that puts them on a high. If you're able to be in that class of, of, of ability, that puts you in a different place. It was no different in John's day. In John's day, people had an appetite to learn and to be educated. But they didn't have some of the luxuries that we have today. They did not have a widespread system of published materials. They, people didn't have books at home. Didn't have magazines and periodicals. They definitely didn't have internet access. This was kind of before libraries. Written material was sparse. It was there and it was picking up steam. They recognized as they were developing the ability to do this that it was important to write things down. It just was not accessible to everybody. You know how you learn stuff? Someone taught it to you Verbally orally and information and knowledge was passed down from one generation to the next and from that generation to the next that's how it happened if you were an elder if you were a teacher if you were wise and studied and learned people looked up to you because you were in a sense one of the very lone tubes of information that was coming forward so human teaching was a prized commodity and if you were viewed as someone who had enough knowledge that you could pass on to somebody else you were the only and in some cases the final authority on everything This is all well and good unless you have a teacher teaching false things. Now you have a disaster on your hands. Because today... How would you challenge a professor or a teacher or a mentor if they were teaching you something that you thought was suspect? You have a lot of different avenues that you can cross-check their facts. You can go on the internet. Not everything on there is reliable, but you have access to tons of information on the internet. You've got books. You've got libraries. You've got periodicals. You've got studies. You've got experience. You've got networks of people and friends that if you think you're getting false teaching from a mechanic or a doctor, or you can get a third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. You can get as many opinions as you want, and there's accountability for knowledge. College. In John's day, it all ended with the teacher. And people were having a problem, especially once the message of Jesus was being passed out. There was true teaching and false teaching. There were true teachers who were teaching the truth, and there were other teachers who were not teaching the truth about Jesus, but there was no way to fact check them. And here's what John is saying If you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you don't need to, tend to depend on a human being to tell you what's true and what's false. The Holy Spirit will help you discern what is true and what is false. If you have him living inside of you, he'll help you figure it out. You have access to his mentoring. Part of his mentoring is help you figuring out right from wrong, true from false. John is not saying that human teaching has no value. In fact, that would contradict much of the New Testament. The New Testament says that teachers are gifted by God to teach. So John's not contradicting that by saying teachers have no value. What he's saying is you need the Holy Spirit inside of you to help you determine between what you're hearing, whether it is true, whether it's right, does it align with God, does it align with his word, or is it false, and do you need to discount it and dismiss it? And the ability to know the difference between the two is hugely important. I invite you to challenge in your spirit everything you hear preached from this pulpit through the Holy Spirit who lives within you. I do the very best that I can, and I make myself accountable to other men and women of God to make sure that what we teach from this pulpit lines up with the word of God. Every now and again, I am human, and as hard as I try, I might get something wrong. But if you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, and you have your notes, and you can figure out where that we took these verses from, the Holy Spirit will help you discern and recognize if you're hearing something that's not accurate, and God will let you filter that through, and you can eat the meat and spit out the bones. The stuff that's right, and the stuff that's not right. We try and get it all right. But I recognize I'm human and as hard as I try, there's going to be times of doing my best. I may not get it exactly right. That's why I need you to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, because I don't ever want to steer you the wrong way and put a wedge between you and God because of me getting something wrong. You need to have the Holy Spirit inside of you to mentor you and to help you shape and to guide you in that way. So how does the Holy Spirit mentor me? I'll give you three things. He helps me recognize between what is true and what is false. And we already talked about that, so I'll move on to the next one. He helps me. The Holy Spirit mentors me by helping me recognize when I am wrong. How many of you just would love to have more people in your life who will point out to you very obviously when you're wrong? You enjoy that? I don't. God may bring someone into your life and gift you with somebody who will help you be aware of when you're wrong. It's called your spouse. No, I'm just kidding. But... uh, But I think in this safe moment right here, even though we might not request that, don't you think you kind of need somebody in your life or some people in your life that you will trust enough to call you on your wrong stuff when you're wrong and be willing to risk your relationship to point it out to you? the Holy Spirit mentors me at times by making me quickly aware that I've sinned and that I've done wrong. And you might say, I don't know that I want that to happen. Well, it is already happening. (laughs) You may not just be recognizing that's the Holy Spirit. There's a Christian word we use called conviction. I feel convicted. Let me give you some other synonyms for that. Uncomfortable. Uneasy. Feeling uh, Ill at ease or having a sense of, of, of unrest with it inside of me. When I do something that breaks God's law, the Bible says the Holy Spirit helps to mentor me by correcting me right away, by making me feel something inside of me. It's called the conviction of the Holy Spirit, making me aware of my sin. Why does He do that? Because He wants to bring correction to it right away so there's not a severing of your relationship with Jesus. Here's the problem. If you can do one of two things when the Holy Spirit makes you aware that you've done wrong, you can listen to him or you can ignore him. It says this in Hebrews 3. If you can hear God's voice and you can sense him working and you don't harden your heart. Here's what happens. If you, gradually, if you gradually resist that feeling of discomfort and conviction when you do something wrong and God's trying to help you make it right, you will gradually grow numb to that feeling. It's like building up calluses on your fingers such that that part of you starts to be able to be really resistant to the Holy Spirit. And you can get to a place where the Bible says you've got a hard heart. That's a dangerous place to be. It's a dangerous place to be. The Holy Spirit mentors me by letting me know what I'm doing wrong. And I could talk a lot about that. I'd also like to bounce that out by saying this. You know one of the other ways the Holy Spirit mentors you? By affirming you when you've done right. Do you recognize that God loves to be? Pack good decisions filled with these benefits we didn't think of? Do you understand when you do the right thing the right way for the right reason, God rewards you with something called peace? When you do the right thing the right way for the right reason, there's no anxiety attached to it. There's no remorse attached to it. There's no discomfort. There's just peace. You know why so many people live with so much anxiety in their life? Because there may be things they're doing wrong that they're not admitting to, and there's anxiety there. When you do the right thing for the right reason the right way, and the Holy Spirit mentors you, He affirms you and gives you peace and reinforces it. As a parent, I want to make sure that I'm bringing the full counsel of that type of wisdom to my son. You better believe that when he cuts out a line, I'm going to let him know about it. But if I only feed him a steady diet like that, and some of you have been raised that way, if I'm only fed a steady diet of everything that I've done wrong and never been affirmed for what I did right, you get a certain jaded view on life. Good parenting is about not only just setting boundaries and saying, son, this is wrong, we need to deal with this, but also saying... Son, I want to tell you, you made me really proud right there when when mommy told you it was time to turn off your Kindle, and you turned it off right away without screaming or fussing. Son, this is a breakthrough. You have just added an enormous amount of peace to mommy and daddy's life. Daddy, what's a breakthrough? We'll talk about it when you're four, but I mean, come on, you know, like, God mentors us not just by letting us know when we've goofed up, but also by affirming us and encouraging us when we've done right. Second thing he gives us access to is his knowledge, Now, this is a tricky one. This v- passage right here in 1 Corinthians I've chewed on since probably like 2006 when I taught a whole series to my students on this passage. I don't even know that I've gotten to the bottom of all of it, but let me just throw some of this out for you to think about this week and then we'll conclude. If you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you have access to God's knowledge. Here's what Paul says. I took just if you, I would encourage you to read all of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 in one sitting to get the whole context here, but let me just give you this part. It was was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. God's spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things the world, that God has freely given us. Wow. This verse hits me like right between the eyes. This is one of the most, you know what I hated in elementary school? You know, when I was in elementary school, I was not, you know, one of the cool kids. And in elementary school, they're not nearly so gracious about inclusion and exclusion. And one of the things I hated was when the cool kids would be, I've got a secret. All they're saying is they know something I don't know and they want me to know that they know something that I don't know and they're not going to tell me. You know the best way to keep a secret? Don't tell anyone you're keeping one. Don't you hate people? They do it on Facebook. Whatever. They're baiting you into asking. Major things happen today. Dot, 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 dot. (laughs) Too many things going on to even write about it. Dot, 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 dot. The most amazing thing happened this morning and I can't get anything done, dot, dot, dot. Stop posting on Facebook and go do something. Like, you know, I guess maybe I should stop reading and go do something. But I hate when people bait you into those types of things. The best way to keep a secret is not tell everybody you have a secret. Have some great, I did it this morning, I have some great news, can't really tell you about it right now, but I just want you to know I have some great news that I know and you don't. Nah, nah, na na nah, you know, like, Why would God tell us he has secret things if he didn't invite us to want to know what they are? God says in this passage, the secret things of God have been hidden from people who are trying to just figure it all out on themselves. But God says there is somebody who knows my secrets. It's my spirit. And, he, and Paul says this should make sense to us as human beings because Paul's essentially saying you and I can be pretty good at throwing people off the trail when we want to. Now some of you wear your thoughts on your face and we know what you're thinking. Others of us are pretty good at thinking something different than what we're letting you think we're thinking. But Paul says there's one thing that will never be separated from your thoughts, and that's your own spirit. My spirit always knows what my brain is thinking because my spirit and my brain are are just linked together. You can't separate them out. And Paul says you're made that way because your heavenly father is that way. Your heavenly father has thoughts that people try and access that they can't. Because they're human. He says, however, the spirit always knows God's thoughts, even the secret things. And he reveals those things to us by giving us his spirit. Because if the only one that knows God's thoughts is his spirit, where is his spirit? If I know Jesus, it's in me. So through God's spirit, he occasionally gives me access to things he knows that I don't know. He lets me access his knowledge. Now, here's the part that frustrates us when and where and how he thinks we need to know it when we need to know it. I would like to tell you that this works in a way that you can say, God, you know what? I would really like to know what I'm going to look like in 20 years. Just download the picture to my brain. Not quite how it works. But the mystery of all this is that if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, what he's saying is you have access to knowing things that you could not know any other way that God will freely reveal to you in real time when you need it. In fact, sometimes it happens so subtly that you don't recognize till months or years later that that moment you had a little earlier was actually God, even though at the time you didn't recognize it as God. Uh, let me give you a biblical example, and then the story is going to tell you about earlier, and we'll end here. This is one of the reasons why I spend so much effort in my life raising my awareness to the activity of the Holy Spirit inside of me. Because there's a whole dimension of things going on that my eyes don't see, but the spirit is aware of. And I need, I need to keep the radio station tuned to the right channel or else I'm in a mess of trouble. Peter has this amazing conversation with Jesus. In fact, we sang about, we sang about part of this conversation earlier, Jesus, Messiah, Christ. We sang about all the different definitions of Jesus. Some of that's lifted out of this conversation. Jesus says to his disciples, what are other people saying about me? And some said, well, one says you're Elijah, one says John the Baptist, another says you're one of the prophets. Everybody's trying to figure out who you really are, Jesus, and there's all kinds of divided opinion. There's no real one consensus. He says, that's great. That's probably what I've heard. Peter, let me put you on the spot. Who do you think I am? You know what Peter says? I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God. And amazingly enough, this is one of the few times Peter spoke up and answered and got it right. And Jesus commends him on the spot. He says, that's exactly right, Peter. And then he follows it up with this statement I've been chewing on for years. No man revealed this to you. My father must have revealed it to you. Now, that's where they leave the conversation off. But I would have loved to have been there and asked a follow-up question. Peter, did you know that it was God who revealed it to you? How did you know? Peter would probably say, I don't know. I guess I just knew. In other words, at some point prior to that conversation, God revealed knowledge to Peter that no human being taught him and no book wrote. He didn't even recognize necessarily it was God that told him when he told him. He just knew. That is the mystery of how God reveals his knowledge to us. It doesn't always come on demand because, man, my life would be so much less stressful if God would just answer the questions in my priority order and the deadlines when I need them answered, very specifically in the right order with all the blanks filled in. That's very rarely how it happens. And that says more about me than it does about him. Because like if we sang earlier, if we actually do trust him, then we can surrender to him. We stop surrendering when we stop trusting. Because if I trust that he knows how it's all going to work out and he has the character I think he does, I don't need to be worried about anything like Dr. Joe encouraged me me with this morning. But if I stop trusting that he has my best intentions, then I'm going to stop surrendering and I'm going to take control back and work this timeline the way I think it should go. So we've been praying for months and months and months. I'll invite the worship team to come join me. I'm landing the plane. It's just taking a while to get it to the runway. I'll invite the worship team because when I see them up here, I really land the plane. I've been... Some of you have been with me long enough to know what that was. That's a moment of confession to you this morning. <laughs> We've been working for months to try and find the home for Echo. And I want to be very careful about this story because I recognize that this is still a story in process. But, you know, whatever. We'll just, we'll just go with it today. So you have to know that when Pastor George Radwana, my pastor, my leader, when he called us in 2000 and whatever year it was, two thousand. 13 2012 and asked us if my wife and i would consider moving from georgia to come and be echo's pastor at first we said we didn't even really want to talk about it we were very happy where we were long story short god slammed a whole bunch of doors closed down there and it made us think again about maybe that was god somewhere in this we talked with pastor george and he talked about the possibility of what this congregation was a, a new church part of trinity life starting up with the intention. You know, there, there's there was some history here and it had, you know, it was already started and moving in a direction. Some things had there's some challenges here and, you know. But what I started imagining was I imagined. Man, I could either stay here and, you know, the pastor said he'd give me this church to be the pastor here at this church where I'm already at in a couple of years. It's kind of familiar and has a lot of these things already figured out. Or maybe we could move up there. And I just thought, man, wouldn't it be cool to be part of a church where I could walk up and down the sidewalks of the city where I pastor and meet people, and live life with them, and share Christ with them, and be salt and light in the community, and the whole church of people who really got outside the walls and the institution of what church is, and started dreaming about just meeting total strangers, and God opening up conversations about their spiritual life, and I started getting really excited about that idea, and then I came here, and I found out that was not really the top assignment on my list. There's a lot of other things that we needed to do, and you know we've been here almost three years now, and been looking for an office and you know I was kind of getting tired of the search and you know if if you've ever done house shopping or apartment hunting after a while it's just like just give me four walls and you know just rent that I can afford kind of a thing and I wasn't all that excited about this latest prospect and we pulled up to it and we walked inside and immediately I just felt different about this place and you know it could have just been the egg sandwich I had for breakfast that morning or it was God sometimes I don't know the difference between the two and um I looked through the building and felt good, and John and I talked some more. I came back a second time last week on Monday night. John was on vacation, couldn't be with me. Um, Bob Barlow and George Ballantyne came with me, and we walked through the building again, and for the first time, I talked to the owner. I won't mention his name at this point. I talked to the owner, and he's kind of a grizzled old Baltimore County guy, and he's kind of a fixture in this community, owns a number of different little properties, and two conversa- two sentences into the conversation first time i'm talking to this guy and i'm just like don't mess this up don't ruin echo you know because you don't know how to do leasing and don't get it all wrong here and i'm like making sure i'm asking all the right questions and um we got down to the terms of the lease and i said well you know our, we would plan to be here about three years i said but to be honest and i'm trying to f- use my words correctly i said you know, we're we're a church, and you know that, and we're hoping to acquire a place to worship permanently, and our plan is for three years, but we're also a church that believes in prayer, and, you know, we're a church that believes that God could accelerate that maybe, and so we, we plan to be here three years, but for terms of the lease, it'd be helpful if we could structure it in a certain way that if God accelerated the process, we, you know, I'm trying to get it all right, and he just looks at me, and goes, so you're a praying man, huh? Uh, yes, sir, and then I kid you not, as serious as a heart attack, here's what he says next, he goes, I don't think the good Lord would want me up there. He said, uh, I think I'm heading in the, direc- the other direction. And he points to hell. And he goes, I don't think God would want anything to do with me. And I'm telling you right in that moment, I'm like this four years ago when God called me here. This moment right now, this is what I said, we'll give it all up. We'll, whatever we need to do, that's what I want to give my life to. Conversations like this. And I looked at him and I almost said his name. I said, Sir if you only knew how much he wants you i said if you'll spend a little time with me i will help you sleep better at night about that i, will, I will. And, he, and then you could kind of tell you sometimes you sense the door the door of the conversation closing and so i don't try and kick it in and he kind of changed the conversation but i'm like that is what we're planted here for we're planted here not just to hope people walk through these doors on sunday morning but god knows things i don't And in that moment, four years ago, he started talking to me about that moment. I didn't know at that time if it was God or it wasn't. And in that moment, I was like, four years ago, whatever those thought streams were, I can definitely tell you that was God sharing knowledge with me through his Holy Spirit. Can I invite you to leave boring Christianity behind and embrace a new way of immersing yourself in God and letting him be in you? Let's pray this morning. If you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, I've tried to do the best I can to tell you what is in it for you. The only thing I know to tell you is even if you want God a little bit this morning, what you can't recognize is he wants you more than you could ever imagine. Exactly as you are, right as you are. Don't think you have to change A, B, C, D, and E before you can have relationship with Jesus. I will tell you the way that you can change your life. If you could do it without Jesus, you wouldn't need him. You need Jesus. He is your next step. He is your first step. And he is every step thereafter. If you're going to be like Jesus, he has to do it because you and I can't. No matter how much you think Jesus loves you this morning, I have to tell you, you're wrong. He loves you even more. Will you just say yes to him this morning? Will you let him be? The Lord of your life. Will you invite him in? Will you invite his spirit to come and live in you? So that you'll never be the same when you begin this miraculous, incremental, hour-by-hour, day-by-day transformation? If so, this this is your opportunity this morning. To begin a relationship with Jesus, you have to admit that you need him. You have to agree with what the Bible says about him. You have to confess with your mouth your belief in him. And you have to ask him to forgive you from your sins. It's that simple. It's a simple prayer. You can pray right in your seat a prayer like this. Dear Jesus, I believe you exist. I believe you're the son of God. I believe what the Bible says about you is true. I believe what the Bible says about me is true. That I've fallen short of a standard that I've sinned. and that I need a savior. So this morning, I ask you to forgive me from my sins. Give me a clean start in you. And Jesus, I invite you to live in me through your Holy Spirit. And just that simply, he comes in. All over this church this morning, God, we individually pause for a moment to answer the question, am I fully immersed in Christ or is there another step for me to take? Holy Spirit, we invite you now to filter through everything we've heard this morning and pick out that one thought, that one statement, that one next step, that part where we recognize you were talking to us. Boldface that in our mind. And bring to our mind what we need to do to make a next step. So that we don't stay right where we are. So that we keep moving incrementally to be closer like your son. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.